You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hey, Mushing Radio listeners. We mentioned this earlier in our Iditarod coverage, but we set up a way to take questions from our listeners. Please leave a voicemail at 303-578-9881 or send a voice memo at firstpawmedia at gmail.com. Leave your name and where you are calling from. And please, if you want us to use it, keep your questions to under 30 seconds. That's it. Let me give you the information again. 303-578-9881 or a voice memo, firstpawmedia at gmail.com. And we can't wait to hear from you. So let's kick this off. This is Robert, and we are doing our continued Iditarod coverage here on Mushing Radio on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site, and you can find all of our episodes over on firstpaw.media. And check us out on social media there as well. And before we get too deep into this, we want to thank our most recent Patreon members. We have Deb... Katrina, Wendy, Patty, Manny, and Annie. And more importantly, Deb is our first recipient of our super fan tier, where our very own Tony is going to whip up a batch of her very special and famous Idita cookies. <laughs> Definitely check it out Yum. over on Twitter. And uh, hopefully you will sign up as well. So thanks to our newest Patreon fans. And without further ado, I am joined tonight by Tony calling in from Kenai, Alaska, and Michelle sitting right next to me at the world headquarters of First Paul Media. Michelle, how's it going? It's going well, Robert. You know, I was out doing dog training today and I felt a warm wind. That's the first of the season and that excites me about summer. And Tony, how's it going down on your neck of the woods? Going really well. I actually got some chores done uh, in between watching dog teams run up the Yukon and my dog got to lay in the sunshine all day and we watched the snow melt. So it's been a good day. 
And, you know, I should have called today's episode The Mighty Yukon because that's what everybody's doing. But I think we've titled it (laughs) Exactly Appropriate. And we're going to jump into that here in just a little bit. There was a big time story that broke uh, in between the two recordings. So we have a lot going on today. But as usual, let's do a very quick trail report. Let me refresh here. So in first place, we have Ryan. Second place, Richie. Third place, Peter. Fourth place, Jesse. Fifth place, Kelly. And in the rear, we have Greg Vitello, Eric Kelly, Jed Stevenson. It looks like Jed is the only one in the entire field that has not or is right now taking his mandatory eight on the Yukon. Then we have Joanna, Bailey, and Gerhardt in the back of the pack. So I guess we might as well jump right into this, Tony. It broke early this morning. I think I woke up or very close to your text where you said that (laughs) Brent Sass scratched early this morning. What do you know and what is the latest? So Brent scratched due to a medical um, concern. Uh, It seemed like a little bit of an emergency when the news broke this morning, but he's doing well. Um, From what we gather from what Brent told Insider this morning when he made the choice to scratch, he actually started the race with three broken teeth that he had just kind of been ignoring that problem. Um, And then he said that he'd been feeling ill for the last few days. And then the run into Eagle Island, which is where he scratched, he said that his mouth, his teeth were just on fire. So he was just really miserable and the dogs were picking up on that. Um, And then he realized that he was not taking care of his dogs properly or the way that he wanted to. He was skipping some of the things that he normally wouldn't um, just because he was so tired as he hasn't been sleeping well, being sick and and having that, that mouth pain. Um, And so they flew him and his dogs out to Unalakleet. It took two trips because he flew with four dogs and then they sent the, I believe it was seven um, other team, other team members uh, to Unalakleet separately. Uh, Last I heard, he's still in Unalakleet and Insider was not sure if they were going to fly the musher to Nome to get further medical treatment or to fly him back to Anchorage. He does have doctors there in Unilacleet. Um, They've all reported that he is doing well, that he is okay, all vitals are good. So it sounds like uh, whatever was going on is being taken care of. His dogs were all doing great. They were just picking up that their musher was not feeling well. And so they were starting to you know, kind of not have their normal rhythm. You know, Tony and Michelle, mushers are a hardy bunch, but uh, one of the first <laughs> things that we, we neglect is our teeth. And I can be one that can speak on that. For folks that follow me on social media, you know I've been going uh, going with some pretty major dental surgery over the last few months, and it harkens back all the way to the mid 90s or so when I crashed on a dog sled and cracked a couple of teeth and uh, I'm now at the ripe old age of 52, paying the price dearly for that, for getting a couple of implants in my bottom teeth. So yeah, I I know the feeling. Uh, I wish Brent well, and uh, it could be 
a terrible thing to be out there on the trail. Because as you guys know, if you've ever had a toothache or tooth pain, it always happens at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> uh, and you cannot wait to get to the dentist in the morning. Just imagine if you are in the middle of the Yukon River, and it's probably well below zero. And you know, you haven't slept in a week, it can only be yeah. compounded. So I can imagine what he's going through. So I hope he's doing well. And as we mentioned, Unicolite is a major hub for Iditarod. Alaska Airlines flies right into uh, Unicolite. So if he does not go onward to Nome, I'm sure he will get back to Anchorage and uh, get that taken care of as soon as he can. I know he does live up in Eureka, which is closer to Fairbanks, but I bet he takes care of that right here. Do you agree with that, Tony? I would hope so, you know, not to be too judgy sounding or anything, because I don't. I'm one of those that, you know, no no amount of pleading from anybody is going to get me in a dentist chair until I absolutely need to go. So I totally get why he was just going to muscle through. I've had that situation of broken teeth, especially if they're in the back. It's like, yeah, I can chew on my other side. I'll make it through. Um, but I would hope that he'd take care of it sooner rather than later, though it's not that I'm a medical professional or expert in any imagination, but considering he wasn't feeling well, um, he looks to me like if he's not feverish, he's just really, really sick looking in the, the interview. And so my guess is something's getting infected in that mouth area which means that they're going to have to go through a course of antibiotics before they can do any sort of surgery. And am I not mistaken here, Tony, but wasn't it a, a toothache or tooth problems that, uh, that Lance Mackey had on a race and he found out uh, that at that point uh, when he went mm-hmm. to the doctor that it was cancer? Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, one of his first Iditarods, um, he thought it was a toothache. Went to the dentist. He was, I think the story goes, he was just going to ask him to pull it because that's the cheaper option. And they found that he had throat cancer instead. So um, I doubt that's what we're seeing here. But yeah, it's, it's again, like, like you said, mushers, you know, they're going to ignore their medical needs ahead of their dog's needs every time. So they're more focused on the four-legged team members than they are themselves. Right. So we all wish Brent well, and uh, hopefully uh, he gets better. And remember, guys, he is the reigning 2022 champ. So it was big news to see that this morning. So let's jump into a couple other stories. Uh, I heard today that they may have to reroute the trail off of the sea ice, which a lot of teams are getting pretty dang close to in the next, uh, I don't know, between now and when we record again. What's the news with that, Tony? So that was the other story that Insider was trying to get accurate information on this morning when news broke on Brent Sass's scratch. Um, Bruce Lee was shown pictures, sent pictures from a friend that lives out near Shaktulik um, saying that, hey, there's no sea ice out here. It's open water here on the Norton Sound. Um, there's not been any updates on the trail since then, other than Insider continually saying we're, you know, we're waiting to hear back from uh, those uh, race officials that are out there. 
but it sounds like if there's any concern or question about the stability of the sea ice, if it's even out there, that they're going to reroute and take the dry land trail, which they've done in the past. Um, I want to say 2014 was a year that they didn't run across the sea ice and they ran around it. I could be wrong on the year, but it's happened before. It just means that your strategy plays a little bit differently because it's a few extra miles, um, but it's it's completely doable. It's it's not something that, you know, they have to stall the race while they put in a trail. Um, those trails are used quite frequently by villages, so it shouldn't be a big problem uh, logistically. It's just going to change up how some of these mushers play the next couple of days. Next up on our list is Ryan Reddington wins the Fish First Award, I believe it's called, presented by Mm -hmm. Bristol Bay Salmon, if I'm not uh, mistaken there. What's up with that? The Bristol Bay Native Corporation's uh, award that they sponsor every year. Ryan Reddington was first into Caltag at around 5.15 p.m. today. Or, nope, I'm sorry, that's when he left. Uh, he got in around 12.47 p.m. today, um, and he was awarded with this gorgeous wooden um, plaque that's in the shape of a salmon with a musher and his, I believe, lead dog uh, engraved on the side of the fish. He's also awarded with $2,000, and then this summer, they will be delivering him 25 pounds of fresh Bristol Bay caught salmon, red salmon. So uh, a big award. It was nice to see a Reddington uh, get to take that uh, prize. And he's, like I said, already back out on the trail after a four and a half hour rest. uh, And he'll be headed for the next at least 10 hours to Unilaquit to be the first on the coast, hopefully. Yeah, and I can't wait to talk about our question of the day here in just a minute. So let's talk about Nick and Greg. Last night, we talked quite a bit about Greg Vitello. He was uh, one of our musher profiles, uh, along with his son, Bailey. And we talked about, uh, is he still being competitive out there? He's still in the Red Lantern position and he's making his way, but it's my understanding that he had a heck of a long break this morning or this afternoon, whichever it was. What do you know about Greg? Well, we actually have breaking news, Robert. I just saw the Iditarod post a press release. Uh, rookie musher Greg Vitello scratched at 3.34 p.m. today at the Iditarod checkpoint, which was in the best interest of his team. Greg contacted race marshal Mark Nordman through a third party and asked for the Iditarod trail sweeps to escort him and his dog team back to Iditarod. Greg and his team are fine and will be transported off the trail by Iditarod Air Force. So I think that answers our question. It sounds like um, he took a 10-hour rest in the checkpoint of Iditarod, made it about five or six miles, I think, is what I said uh, to you earlier in the day when we discussed this, Um, and then just seemed to stop and stall. And that's always a sign of not necessarily trouble in like the dun-dun-dun sense, but more like the trouble as in dun-dun-dun sense. Um, He was running a team of 
dogs that, you know, it was a little questionable whether or not they were going to have the mental fortitude to go the entire way. And, and we were starting to see signs of that uh, in the last few days. So it's not surprising. It's very disappointing, though, because I know Greg wanted to finish, uh, you know, and especially since his son is still out there and still kind of kicking butt. So um, bummed for Greg, but glad that the team is doing well. Yeah, and that's that's your typical uh, press release uh, in the best interest of the dogs, and of course that that's what most of us care about. Of course, we care uh, about the humans as well, but the dogs can't say, "Hey, we're done." Uh, the only way that they do that is they just pretty much say, "We're not going to do this anymore. We're going to stop right here, and we're going to take a, a rest, whether you like it or not." And there's all sorts of mm-hmm. stories about that in in Iditarod history. And it's, it's definitely something that we could jump into quite a bit. Uh, but uh, I think that's a story for another day. So that also brings up Nick Petit. Evidently, he had a heck of a long rest, probably unplanned. What was up with that one? Yeah, he took a rest between Eagle Island and the checkpoint of Caltag. He left out of um, Eagle Island, let me pull that up real quick, Eagle Island at uh, 4.18 this morning, and he, or I'm sorry, 4.28 this morning, and he's still not into Caltag. Um, he took a, either a nine or 10 hour rest in between the checkpoint, which, I mean, it, if you're planning on blowing through Caltag and breaking up the run from Eagle Island to Unilacleet, a rest there wouldn't necessarily be too concerning. It's the fact that he stayed for as long as he did. It doesn't seem like the normal rest time. Now that could mean that Nick is just trying to do something out of the box, which is very Nick Petit style, or it could signify that his dogs needed a longer rest. Um, He was resting most of the day, which maybe it was just too warm for the dogs. Um, But we've also seen him taking rests in different areas that we didn't expect, like taking his 24 and Nikolai, for example. So there's a little bit of question, at least in my mind, is this not going the same way as the Yukon 550, where he did have to go from racing mode to adventure slash camping mode towards the end. Yeah, and I know... Earlier in the coverage, we talked about the mandatory gear that every musher has to carry in their sled, and that includes extra dog food. And that's one of the reasons why. So if these teams shut down outside of checkpoints, they have to have food to feed them. And if you're doing really long rests like this, when we're talking 8, 10, or 12 hours, you're definitely going to have to feed your dogs on the trail. So it is very commonplace to have that extra food and extra fuel for your cooker and all that sort of stuff, because these things happen. I've been there and done that before on expeditions and uh, mid to, to longer distance races where my dog teams will shut down and you have to do whatever you can to sort of spark that fire, if you will. But Michelle has our canine science tip of the day. Michelle, you want to talk a little bit about sleep deprivation in dogs. We hear a lot about that on the Iditarod Trail, about sleep deprivation with the mushers. And we talked last night about Richie Deal just looking exhausted when his family uh, met up with him at one of the checkpoints. And he was there with his 
his little baby, and it, it looked like he was just ready to fall over any second. But uh, what about sleep deprivation in dogs, Michelle? Well, I'm wondering if you want to talk about Eddie Burke first, because it's going to play right into my um, section here. So if you'd like to talk about Eddie Burke falling asleep at the wheel, so to speak, uh, I think that might be a good time to do so. Yep, let's do that. So we talked about human uh, sleep deprivation, and we sure did see it earlier uh, this morning at some point. It looks like Eddie Burke, uh, our Rookie of the Year contender, uh, fell asleep at the wheel, so to speak, and fell off the sled and walked for quite a ways. And it looks like he hitched a ride with a couple of mushers. I think Christian Turner was one of them from from the CV kennels there. And he finally made his way back to the checkpoint and uh, got his team back. But it's important to note here, Tony, that just because he had that outside assistance, that is not a breaking of the rules, is it? No, it's not. Um, the fact that, you know, I did a rod insider was there with snow machines to actually reconnect him with his dog team that had run into the checkpoint of Eagle Island, which is where they were supposed to go anyway, um, does not disqualify him from the race. Uh, now, if he had entered Eagle Island first without his dog team, that's a different story. But the fact that the dogs made it without him does not disqualify him, nor does it mean that he's disqualified because of the outside assistance, because there is a clause in that rule that if for some reason you get separated from your dog team, everything else goes out the window. It's dogs first. You've got to uh, retain that dog team. And so you can use outside assistance in that way to get the dog team. Now, if you were to you know, use that outside assistance to then get the dogs to follow you into the checkpoint or something like that. That's a different story. But just being able to reconnect with your dog team, that's not considered um, a disqualifiable offense. And, and Tony, I'm trying to think of the story several years ago, and I want to think it was Seth Barnes uh, that fell asleep at the wheel, if you will. And he had one of those trail dragger sleds. So the the, the type of the sled that has that seat and, you know, little uh, caboose, if you will, on the back of your sled. And it's my understanding that he fell asleep, and, and the name may not be right, but he fell asleep and ended up between the runners there where the brake and drag mat are. And this may be totally wrong, but I guess he had on his iPod and he was listening to Kid Rock or something like that. And that's what finally woke him up. And the dogs were just trotting away and he woke up to to the music and uh, figured, oh, my goodness, I fell asleep here. And uh, my goodness, I got to jump back on the sled. Do I have at least some of that story right? Do you recall? Uh, I don't recall who it was. Um and they all kind of blend together because this is not something out of the norm. I actually had someone message me earlier today asking about it. And I was like, you'd be surprised just how many times this happens. Um, we've seen video. I can't remember which journalist it was. I want to say it was Kyle Hopkins from Anchorage Daily News has a video of um, sitting there on the trail waiting for teams to come by. And there's Jeff King and he's asleep, definitely asleep sitting down on his old man sled, that chair, that caboose on the sled. Um, and he's totally out. And um, then you've got the story of Linwood Fiedler from just a few years ago, 
who fell asleep, fell off his sled. The dogs made it in the checkpoint. And nobody knew where Linwood was. So uh, definitely something that happens far more often than I think we even hear about uh, unless there's a journalist around to capture some of that footage. <laughs> and if you've been listening to our show all off season, you've probably heard my own sleep deprivation story about seeing a pterodactyl on the uh, Tustamina 200 trail. If you have not, definitely check out that episode. I don't recall which one that was, Tony, but I know we talked pretty in depth with that one. Uh, I did see, I think it was on your post, uh, Lisa Mackey, that's Jason Mackey's wife, said that uh, uh, Eddie should have a tug line wrapped around him and attached to the handlebars. And Michelle, I don't recall who it was. You might know Tony, but we saw somebody leaving from the restart with what looked like really long uh, drag lines or old crap lines, as as we call them. And they look like horse rope, the, the type of rope that you would use to, to work with horses. Uh, that could be the reason why. So you could tie yourself to the sled, mm -hmm. either going down through some scary sections, or if you know that you're going to fall asleep, I guess a good way to do that is just sort of anchor yourself in. Do you remember who that was, Michelle? If not, Tony, do you? I honestly thought it was Eddie. Oh, but, it could have been. I don't know. I'm not even sure because, you know, they were going by and some of the, I was mostly looking at the dogs. Um, I mean, I married a musher, so I wasn't out there hunting for one. I was, <laughs> I was only looking for the dogs. Tony, you, you probably got pictures of all the mushers. I believe that they were blue and white rope. Do you recall who that was? I don't recall. Um, there are several sleds every year that's now those, and gray. those lines. So. Yeah. So maybe yeah. we maybe we will find that tomorrow in Tony's pictures, and we will report back on that because that would be a cool uh, bookend to this story, if you will. Because I bet that's what that was for for and, sure. You know, I want to say this too, Robert. You had one tied to the sled when you were training the kids how to do longer distance mushing races. Um, especially Nicole, uh, you had, you had her have one on there. It wasn't tied to her, but it was within her reach that if she did fall off, she could grab it rather quickly. And if I recall, she may have had to use it when she ran the Denali highway, her final year doing junior Iditarod. Yep. And another musher tip, if you will, a, a lot of people, I know Michelle and Nicole included use a neckline and they put their hand through the neckline onto the driving bow. And that's not necessarily because they may fall asleep on a training run, but in case they crash, their hand is is still there attached to the sled. And, and possibly broken in the in the crash because of that reason, but it is a fail-safe. It is a fail-safe. So that's another thing that they could do if they know that they're getting pretty tired. So Michelle, let's jump into our canine science uh here. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, Eddie requires seven to eight hours of sleep, just as all of us human beings require. Um, and I, I just got to say, we're seven days into this, and that's not including the ceremonial start and all of the partying that was going on. So let's just call it eight days, right? And he has not had a good night's sleep or a significant amount of sleep 
for that matter, in at least eight days. And so it, it should be expected by the time they hit the Yukon, the trail is flatter. The trail is a whole lot more boring from what I've been told by a lot of mushers that have ran the Yukon River. It, it's boring. And so that's where you are going to fall asleep thinking that you're quote unquote safer because you're not on that more technical part of the trail. And uh, I just got to say, tie yourself on, you know, at the least so that you don't tip over and fall off. Um, but interestingly enough, dogs can suffer from sleep deprivation as well. And there's been research done on Iditarod dogs specifically, but more so with um, our own personal dogs. And um, it, it's interesting because dogs need between eight and 13 and a half hours of sleep every day with an average sleeping just under 11 hours. And I think that we can all attest to the fact that Stitch probably sleeps closer to 20 hours, but I'll leave that up to Tony to explain to us later. <laughs> um, but the, the, the point of the matter is, you guys, is dog suffering sleep depri deprivation is a real thing. And it happens to them on Iditarod just as it does to the musher. And a lot of times I'm wondering, because this is not included in the research, but I think it would be viable for somebody to do research on. And that is actually discover if the dogs that are coming into checkpoints that appear lethargic and or are then deemed unfit to continue for various other reasons, it could simply be something as minimal as needing to catch up on some Z's. What do you guys think? I, I agree. I know that sled dogs are are a whole different animal than the pet dog, and there's been a whole lot of research. And being in a doctorate program, I've, I've read my share of scholarly journals, so I, I enjoy reading that kind of boring stuff. And I would bet that Arlie Reynolds, a, a world-renowned researcher and veterinarian, probably has looked into this, if not Heather Hewson from back east, I believe at Cornell University, they've probably looked at that in sled dogs. And even though their metabolism and, and just their whole makeup is different than a pet dog, I would bet that, uh, that dogs do suffer from sleep deprivation, just like, uh, our, our golden retrievers and Labradors and, uh, uh, little dogs like Tony has and, and, and the nine. So, so yeah, I think it's a, a very important topic because we always hear uh, in these press releases, in the best interest of the dogs, and most often that means that you know they're they're just wiped out from all those hours on the trail. They've worked too hard, sore shoulders or whatever, and they just don't have the 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 dog power, if you will, to continue. But it could be they're just not getting enough rest. They're not eating well. They have a stomach bug. All sorts of things. So it could be a myriad of factors, but I like that sleep deprivation idea as well, Tony. Or excuse me, Michelle. Yeah, I just want to close out this segment with, um, I was reading all of the dog litter names that people were coming up with. So fabulous. I don't remember seeing anybody holler out the seven dwarfs because Sleepy would be a good name. Sleepy and Dopey. I'm sure that there is a sled dog crew out there named that, which is a great segue into our next segment. Our question of the day last night, uh, Tony, was 
what would you name a litter of sled dog puppies? And my goodness, I was reading these starting to come in like at five o'clock this morning. I think we had 45 or so responses on your Facebook and Twitter page. And my gosh, I got a lot of, of good ideas for litter names. And I know Michelle and I have talked. We're not going to have any more litters. We are not. (laughs) People take notes. Yes. We are not. But I liked Barb Reddington's. I mean, she gave us a whole bunch of names. She did. They were so cool. And and they stuck with the theme. They really went all at it. Tony, what do you have for us on on some of these uh, uh, litter names? Oh, there were so many good ones. We had one that was toys like Lego, Rubik, Simon, Easy Bake, Weeble. They wobble, but they don't fall down. Um, then we had uh, percussion instruments and Rogue and Wraith Squadron. If you are a Star Wars fan like I am, uh, before Disney took over and totally ruined the expanded universe, uh, there was this book series called Rogue Squadron, and it followed um, some of the minor characters from the movies. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of that one. That would be one of mine. Of course, I had some followers who know I love Disney, so they came up with Disneyland-related related themes like attractions and snacks. Uh, I really liked one. Someone came up with the theme of purple things. And so, you know, you have lavender, periwinkle, tulip. It was a very, they had Barney in there, Barney the Purple Dinosaur. The best name um, in that, so I liked the, that best, too. the best name in the purple group was Bruce. Bruce. Right? <laughs> for the biggest dog, for the biggest puppy in the litter. That was, that was the rule for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some that I can't repeat because they're not work or family friendly. Um, which would totally work for someone like Lev Schwartz or um, Rob Cook for their kennel names. As we know, they love to have some of those interesting ones just to hear those lead dogs get named at the starting line. Um, Had a few that suggested Iditarod Mushers, which is something Nick Petit has done several times. Um, Lots of people chose a legal theme to use like terminology from the courtrooms. That was interesting. Um, Yeah, just so many great ones. Uh, We had some that said the Twitter handle team and they went with ugly dog Twitter names. Uh, One was may I present the bones I've broken litter. So yeah, that's a good name. Lots of good ones. I really like that legal theme. And I think that they had brief motion appeal judge lawyer something like that definitely mm-hmm. a, a well, cool i i i know for a fact we've got a couple in our kennel that we could name criminal and misdemeanor <laughs> for sure <laughs> so that that was that was a cool question but guys i'm sure you're probably screaming at your phone or your your computer screen right now because we usually do another segment before we get into the question so we're going to save our question of the day for tonight For just a second, we have to talk about our musher of the day, and it is Katie Jo Dieter. Uh, I think all of us would agree, one of our favorite mushers out there this year, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're looking forward to talking about Katie Jo. Michelle, what do you know from the bio? Well, what I know from the bio is Katie Jo has the most sponsors I've ever seen in any musher's bio (laughs) ever. So, Good job. Good job, 
Katie, Joe, and gathering all the sponsors on the planet to help you get across that finish line. That is really awesome. Um, she could share some of the love, but I think that she has done a great job. A lot of these look like family members. So kudos to all of the Katie Joe sponsors and fans. Uh, but, you know, Katie Joe Dieter is originally from Northwest Wisconsin, as I'm sure a lot of you know. She graduated from UW Lacrosse and then relocated to Alaska in 2010. Uh, her first job was doing a dog sledding tour uh, in Juneau, where she met Jeff and fell in love. I always like to say we fall in love with the dogs first, gentlemen. It's not all about you. <laughs> um, but, you know, Katie Jo has, it says here she has the unique distinction of being one of the only mushers to ever run all the way to Nome, but not be considered an, an official mm -hmm. finisher, which is so terrible. But she is sharing here, several of us mushers got trapped in a terrible ground blizzard between White Mountain and safety. Some wind gusts must have been nearly 80 miles an hour. She says her sled was getting blown over and somersaulted off the trail down the side of the mountain. Eventually, we had to call for help because we couldn't make any forward progress and it was a dangerous situation for us and our dogs. She says Jeff and her were taken by snow machine assistance three miles ahead down the trail to the Topcock Shelter Cabin. And at one point, there were four of them in the cabin with 32 dogs. They spent 24 hours together. I'm sure that they all will never forget that moment in time. Um, she did threaten to move herself and the dogs to Hawaii after that situation. <laughs> but as we all know, moving to Hawaii is very difficult as a dog musher, except for Robert. I told you today we can go run dogs on Mauna Kea. I saw that. I mean, come on. They're having a blizzard at the top of the mountain there on the big island. I say let's go do it. Let's do it. All right. So Katie Joe is uh, super awesome, super friendly, very approachable uh, dog musher, and we wish her well. They are not getting stuck in a blizzard. They are not getting <laughs> lost on the sea ice this year. She is going to cross that burl arch. And I have a thing or two to say about uh, Katie Joe and her husband, Jeff, in just a second. But what do you know, Tony? Uh, well, I know that she may not be getting lost this year or blown off a mountain, but she has broken her sled more than I think any other musher that I can think of in history and still keeps going because she just had to fix her sled again last night. But, <laughs> um, but I did uh, get in contact with her husband, Jeff, um, and he was able to give me the answers that I was looking for. Of course, I asked him what's one thing uh, that you want fans to know about what makes Katie tick. And he said, more than anything, Katie loves to travel. That's the underlying reason for racing. But she's very competitive, so it's a good blend. And then I asked, what is one thing that she always has to have 
uh, in the sled bag that's not mandatory gear. And he said a good playlist and a few quality audiobooks. So he was very short, sweet, and to the point, but uh, got that point across. Uh, and I, I love uh, listening to Katie talk. I got to sit with her. I don't think she remembers this, but I remember it. We were waiting for Jeff to come in to Nome in 2019. We were both in the same hotel and the internet was like down for the entire city of Nome. So we could not get even a signal with our phones to watch the tracker. So we just had to kind of sit there and wait until, you know, either we could see a crowd forming to cheer him in or whatnot. But it was, she was just so funny because she was like, I need to know, I need to be able to post it on our Facebook page. And here we were just sitting there waiting like the good old days we imagined. So um, she's just really fun. Uh, I, I enjoy listening to her and, and following along in her journey. So several years ago, I had both Katie, Joe, and Jeff on Mushing Radio. And I believe it was right around his first Iditarod. And we were talking all about... Uh, their journey and sort of having their, you know, their dream fulfilled there with their cabin in the woods and all of that. And I had to remark when I was on the show just how impressed I was with their their graphics on their Facebook page and their face or, or their website. And their website is much different than it was way back then. And if I remember correctly, a friend of theirs is the person that does all of the graphics, hand drawn. Graphics, and you'll see on their website, blackspruce.dogsledding.com, you'll see that black spruce there and the dog that looks like the Yukon Quest logo. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm sure if you jump around in the website, you will see some of those really cool graphics. But also, as Michelle mentioned, they are uh, a, a sled dog tour operator up near Fairbanks. And I'm looking at their website right now. They have 884 reviews on TripAdvisor for their dog sledding tours. They are ranked number two out of 93 for outdoor activities in Fairbanks. And they say that they are ranked number one in Fairbanks on TripAdvisor. Tony and Michelle, I know a heck of a lot of us dog mushers do tours for a way to make money in the off season or even during the snow season by providing these tours, but I don't think very many of us have that big of a review following on TripAdvisor. Have you ever seen anything like that, Michelle? Uh, no, but I'm wondering if they're getting any of Tony's cookies just to get on those TripAdvisor reviews. <laughs> They've got to be padding that somehow. Um, but no, in all seriousness, when you provide people with a great experiential experience right where they're they're out there doing uh, it's a form of ecotourism and when you do it the right way you're going to get people that will volunteer to put a review on there for you yeah i i wholeheartedly agree and definitely check out their website guys whoever's taking those photos if it's jeff or katie joe they're definitely doing that right do you have anything else to say about their tour business. Tony, have you heard anything else through the grapevine about what they're doing up there? Uh, I haven't other than to know that they are one of the most popular or, um, you know, at least they, they always have really great reviews. Um, 
you know, they, they, they have an energy and they have an excitement about what they're doing, their kennel. Um, you see that in their social media posts. Uh, Katie and Jeff both do a very good job, um, depending on who's racing and who's at home doing the tours. So it, it's a, a team effort all the way with them. And I think that just comes across and it's genuine. So I think that's where a lot of the love comes from. And she's doing very well on the trail right now at my last mm -hmm. refresh. She is dead middle of the pack at 16. Uh, she's working her way to Caltag there. And I don't know this uh, stat. Maybe you do, Tony, but it says uh, 9.23 miles an hour. Is that cumulative or the last ping? If it's cumulative, she's blazing down the trail at, at uh, nine and a quarter miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so you're looking at the uh, the race standings, and that is just factoring in how long it took them to get from the last checkpoint that they left to the or the most recent checkpoint that they got to to the last one they left. Um, and so, typically, why hers is so fast is she probably didn't camp along the trail. Um, that's why you'll see some of the ones that are up on the leader, you know, in the leader standings, like Jesse Holmes. He camped out on the trail but his speed shows him going 4.85. That's not actually accurate, but it, it's not taking into account the time that they rest on the trail. Well, one way or another, if you have a dog team that's going nine miles an hour, whether you're factoring mm -hmm. in rest or not, and this is just another musher perspective, nine miles an hour for a long distance team, especially this far into the race, that is very impressive. And it looks like... Um, just a couple of others, uh, of course, not factoring in those rest times is going above nine miles an hour. So way to go, Katie Joe. We hope you the that uh, that you do very well. And just one more part of that story. Didn't Jeff sort of sacrifice his own race last year to to run with his wife? That's the story, isn't it, right, Tony? Not really. It's the other way around. Oh. His team got sick. He wasn't feeling well either. So when his uh, race blew all to poop, then he decided to stick with Katie Joe. So they, they ran together, but it was because his race wasn't going according to plan. So instead of trying to push the dogs through it, he just decided, you know what, let's just run with Katie. And it's probably a good thing that that happened because she – would have probably had a different outcome <laughs> mentally uh, once she got to that Topcock Hills and, and those windstorms that hit them um, that she had just there with her. I think she said helped her out immensely because at least she could scream at him and tell him that they were never doing this again. <laughs> well, that, that leads to that quote that we mentioned in previous episodes, something about mm -hmm. uh, tough women in Alaska. If the husband had to sort of, uh, say, hey, I need, I need the help of my wife here. That, that's definitely putting um, equal footing on both sexes of the race <laughs> there. So I guess I should ask, and I don't know the answer to this, but I'm sure you do, but is that the particular shelter cabin where they got in trouble for uh, the, the dogs in the, in the no. cabin itself, or is that somewhere else? No, that was Michelle and Mila, and that was out of Elam, not out of White Mountain. Okay, so it was a different different scenario altogether. And I know that there was a lot of staying in those shelter cabins last year because of those 
storms that were rolling through for several days. It was ongoing for sure. So let's jump into our last segment since we already covered the question for last night, which was the the litters of uh, of sled dog puppies. Right about now, guys, uh, the mushers are going to be making their way into Unicolite, and there is an Iditarod tradition. There is a pizza place there called Peace on Earth, and it's my understanding, and I have not done this, but I'm sure Tony can speak on it a little bit longer than I, that you can call into this pizza restaurant and put in a, a pizza order for your favorite musher and tell them, hey, uh, Nick likes pepperoni and sausage and extra cheese, and they will whip that up for him, and I think they will deliver it to him at the checkpoint. So before I turn it over to you, Tony, the question of the day is, what is your favorite topping on pizza? And it just so happens that Michelle and I whipped up a couple of uh, homemade pizzas right before airtime. And on my pizza, I had garlic, peppers, sweet and green, onions, mushrooms, Italian sausage, pepperoni, and cheese. Michelle, what'd you have on yours? Mine are never as fun as yours. I had pepperoni, <laughs> mushroom, and sausage. Pretty, and, pretty basic. So, Tony, tell us about uh, the the piece on Earth. But before you do, what is your favorite topping on pizza? Oh my gosh, I'm so boring. I I prefer I, if it's a really good pepperoni pizza. That's all I need. Um, otherwise, I kind of like the meat lovers with the um, pepperoni and the sausage and salami. I'm, I'm more of a carnivore than anything else when it comes to pizza. So, but if we're if we're talking Moose's Tooth Pizza there in Anchorage, which is not my favorite pizza place, and I know that's kind of sacrilege, but it's, <laughs> it's the truth. Um, <laughs> but um, they have during I did a rod, it's called the Shishmaref Cannonball, which is a nod to Herbie Nayakpuk, and it's um, peppers and um, pepperoni, and I want to say sausage was on there, but it was reindeer sausage, so that was really, really good, um, but yeah, so um, so as far as peace on earth pizza, not only will they take your order over the phone no matter where you are in the world, um, but they will also, if you want to have them scroll out a message to your favorite musher, uh, they'll write it on the inside of the pizza box for you. Oh, I, I like it. And, and that's ongoing. And I wonder, and I'm sure this happens a lot, especially for the, for the more, uh, famous or followed mushers. I wonder if they put a cap on it. So if, if people are sending, uh, Jesse Holmes pizzas, I don't imagine they would send out two dozen pepperoni pizzas to, to Jesse, would they? You know, I don't know. I do know that if the musher either misses the pizza by some chance, you know, like it's a Dallas TV who's just blowing through there and it takes them only a minute to grab their stuff and go, um, then my understanding is the media and the volunteers get the pizza. So it does not go to waste. So. I, I like it. And, and I know Michelle knows this little fun fact about me, but I have, I'm a huge pizza fan. I have had literally pizza in every state in the United States and a couple of other countries. And we're heading to Italy in, in uh, 2024 for that first slice of Italian pizza. But 
I am wanting to do Iditarod or some type of expedition for the mere fact of having a slice of this peace on earth pizza. But I have to say, you talked about Moose's Tooth, and that is, uh, you know, world famous pizza. Another kind of fun fact, it is the highest grossing pizza restaurant in the United States. And that comes from their website. So they must sell a heck of a lot of pizza there at Moose's Tooth. But my favorite pizza at the moment was just a couple of weeks ago in Seattle at Delfino's Chicago Style Pizza. It was wonderful, wasn't it, Michelle? It was, and what a cute little find. It was. It was just a little teeny pizza restaurant in the University Village or University Center or whatever it's called. It was tucked away, though, in a corner where it wasn't as noticeable. Yes, and it was. So, guys, the question of the day, what is your favorite toppings on pizza. It could be boring, like just plain old cheese, or it could be pepperoni and sausage, or it could be some kind of elaborate deal like they do at uh, at Moose's Tooth. I know we just had one there with our buddy Jeremy, and it had all sorts of stuff on it, including shaved steak. And that was one of the best pizzas I've ever had there. So Tony will post that question. Her mouth is watering right now. <laughs> Tony will post that question on social media right after we air, and it will be tagged. I did a question, so definitely check that out uh, and answer away. Because I know Tony, you've been asking folks uh, what they're going to put on the pizzas to the to the mushers. Is that right? Yeah, um, the Ugly Dogs, they do this every year. They try to have this spreadsheet where they make sure that every musher doesn't get more than another. You know, they make sure everyone is covered. Um, so this year, while I've been asking um, mushers' families for the little insight on our musher of the day, I've also been asking them the bonus question of what do they like on their pizza? And the excitement of the family members and the friends that are running their social media pages um, when they're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool that they're going to buy them a pizza um, has been really exciting. But it has destroyed my soul to find out so many of my favorite mushers like to put the abomination of pineapple on their pizza. My goodness. Well, I'm just going to make it worse on everyone. I want to know if the pizza at the peace on earth peace on earth if they make a dessert pizza then i'd i'd like to try the dessert pizza some of those are pretty good like the s'mores pizza or yeah. kind of the cookie pizzas and all that definitely try that out so guys answer the question we look forward to hearing your uh responses so like we always do we're going to go with tony first did we miss anything or are there any other stories you want to report on no, I think we covered everything, which I'm shocked because it was such a long list. I agree. Michelle? Uh, you know, I think we finally hit our rhythm. We're mid into this. <laughs> we're, we're heading into week two. We have another full week of our, of our podcast, and that leads me into my final segment. If you have not already, subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and tell your family and friends how they can listen to. Maybe they can become a rabid listener just like you. If you are so inclined and you want some of Tony's famous Idetta cookies, <laughs> head on over to patreon.com slash firstpawmedia and she will whip up a batch 
specifically for you. Now, it will be after Iditarod before we get those out, but she promises they will be freshly made and made with care for in specifics for you. So that is patreon.com slash firstpawmedia. There is a level that will require you to get those cookies amongst other very cool perks, including access to our world-famous after show that we're calling The Gangline. <laughs> and if you will, please leave us a review on wherever you're listening to this podcast. That really helps us out to be found. And lastly, we will be back on tomorrow around this time to talk about the third third of the race, and that is the coast and then onward to Nome. I think a good majority of their teams will be either in Uniclete or on their way out. And uh, it's a whole different race out that way. And I always like talking about that, not because it's getting closer to the finish, but uh, there's a lot going on on that second or third third of the race for sure. So until next time, we will see you then. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto, created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media. Uh, she's having major contractions and everything, and she wouldn't go to the hospital because she was convinced the doctor wouldn't let her watch the football game. Okay, so I have to know... Why the hell your name isn't JJ for Joe and Jerry for the love of Christ? What was she thinking? Because she, she promised my grandpa that she would name her firstborn child after him. And the doctors told her that I was going to be a boy. So she couldn't disappoint Grampy. So I'm Antonia Michelle and he was Anthony Michael.